Well, it was Charlie's first day on the job as a New York City taxi driver. And he had just picked up a fare at the height of rush hour, and he was totally concentrated on navigating his way through the very dense Manhattan traffic. And he'd been driving just a few minutes when his passenger realized that he needed to change the destination. And so he wanted to get Charlie's attention. He reached over the back seat and tapped Charlie on the shoulder. And Charlie screamed. And he let go of the wheel and lost control of the cab and they veered across the lanes and they almost hit a bus. They leaped onto the sidewalk and they stopped just inches from a plate glass window of a store. And they both sat there stunned for a few minutes and then Charlie turned around and he was very shaken. He said, I'm so, so sorry. Are you okay? You just frightened me to death. And his passenger said, I, I didn't think a tap on the shoulder would be so frightening. And Charlie said, you don't understand, today is actually my first day driving a taxi cab, but for the last 25 years I've been driving a hearse. <laughs> Imagine driving your hearse and getting a tap on the shoulder. <laughs> uh, we all know what it's like to be frightened, don't we? And thankfully, most of us will never have an experience like Charlie's, but we all know what it's like to feel fear. And the challenge is that fear is hard to prepare for because it usually crops up unexpectedly. And it comes at us in a variety of ways. Yet however fear crops up, it always provokes some kind of response. And when you and I are afraid, we can react or even overreact in powerful and sometimes even destructive and harmful ways. Just think for a moment about how fear impacts us. As I think we all understand, fear causes physical symptoms in our bodies. We can, we can have a racing heart. We can have our blood pressure skyrocket. We might even break out in a cold sweat. And remember last week when we looked at Jesus' last prayer and he knew he'd face the cross the next day. In his humanity, Jesus broke out in a cold sweat. Those are the physical kinds of things that happen to us when we're afraid. And yet in the worst case situations, people caught in the grip of fear, they can lie, they can cheat, they can steal. And fear even can cause us to abandon our friends and even abandon God. Because when we are really, really afraid, we will not care about the cost to our integrity or the cost to others. All we will care about in that moment is self-protection. As I was praying over the message this week, I, I had something significant occur to me. I planned this sermon series and this message more than two months ago. And when I planned this sermon, I had no idea what the state of our world would be today. But our God did. And God prompted me to pick today to preach on the topic of fear so we could address it at this time when fear is so present in our world. 
And I think that says something very profound about the care of our Heavenly Father for us. Because He doesn't want us to surrender to fear. And the fact is, fear is a very real issue right now. Coming at us from so many directions. We're battling inflation. It's hitting our pocketbooks. Many people have the very real concern of paying their bills. Economists are struggling to figure out how to curtail inflation without triggering a recession. And this Russian attack on Ukraine has unsettled the world. Is it any surprise that people are responding to all of this and more with fear? And let's be honest, in times like these, even people of faith like us can find fear bubbling to the surface. Yet even though his fear is a natural human reaction, you and I need to, to learn to harness it because so often our reactions to fear carry a cost. That's what happened to Charlie, the taxi driver. And this morning, we're going to see a much more serious reaction. We're going to see Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, pay a heartbreaking price for letting his faith be conquered by his fear. Now, before we get into the story itself, let me set the scene. It's the last night of Jesus' life, and he's just finished a time of prayer, a time of prayer that's filled him with confidence for facing the cross. And as he finishes that time of prayer, Judas Iscariot arrives, and Judas is the friend who has become an enemy. Judas does not come alone. He brings a detachment of soldiers, and they arrest Jesus and take him away for a trial. And sadly, as Jesus is led away, virtually all of the disciples run away. They quickly abandon Jesus because they allow themselves to be overwhelmed by fear. Two disciples, though, don't run away. Peter and John. And they stick around, and as the soldiers head off with Jesus, they kind of tag along behind. And when they reach the house of the high priest, which is the place where Jesus' trial will take place, it's a house surrounded by a big, walled outer courtyard. And when they reach that house and reach that gate, right at the gate, John stops. John doesn't go inside. But Peter does. Peter goes through the gates and into that courtyard alone. So he's all by himself. And in that moment, he becomes the last man standing. Yet as we're going to see, Peter ultimately fails to stand with Jesus. And why is that? Because of fear over fear. Cody Kessler is going to come forward now and read us this incredibly tragic Bible story. And I'd like us to listen as Cody reads to us from Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 69. All right. Uh, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, 
I do not know what you mean. And when he went out of the entrance to another servant girl, saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know that man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Thank you very much, Cody. Now to really understand this incident, we need to understand the character of Peter. Peter was a physically strong, very courageous fisherman, and he was a man of action. Some three years earlier, when Jesus invited Peter to be a disciple, Peter willingly neglected his fishing business in order to follow Jesus. And that tells us that Peter's a man who's not afraid of making risky and bold decisions. And then as we walk, watch Peter walk by the side of Jesus over these years, we, we see that he's a natural and outspoken leader. When we read the biographies of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we discover that there's no disciple that ever speaks up more than Peter. He always has an opinion to offer. He's always got some idea that he's sure everybody else needs to hear. And he also has a tendency to speak quickly and act quickly, sometimes before thinking. And so sometimes he says and does the wrong things. For example, Peter is the only disciple who was ever brash enough to tell Jesus, you're wrong. <laughs> That's pretty bold. So the picture that emerges in Scripture of Peter is that he's a man who's filled with self-confidence. He was a self-made man, and he believed that by the force of his will, he could get things done. And often, he did. It's no surprise, then, that in, in this situation, he acts with daring, and he goes by himself right into the courtyard of the house of the high priest. And we see that at the start of this story in verse 69. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. And so as we heard, and as I said, there's this courtyard around the outside of the house of the high priest. Peter's sitting outside the courtyard. Jesus is inside the house where a sham trial is being conducted. But here's the thing we need to understand. Peter is not alone in that courtyard, not by a long shot. From the accounts of this incident, recorded in the books of Mark, Luke, and John, we get a fuller picture, and we know that the guards who arrested Jesus are hanging out there in the courtyard. They're warming themselves by an open fire, and they're getting refreshments from some servant girls. These guards are waiting around because when Jesus' trial is over, they're going to have to take him to wherever the high priest orders. Now, there's not just the guards that are there. There's also temple officers, priests, elders, 
and they're all waiting for the verdict. And none of these people are friends of Jesus. None of these people are advocates for Jesus. So when Peter enters into that courtyard, he's going into the midst of a hostile crowd where he is going to be confronted by several people, starting with that servant girl. And that behavior is bold, and it's daring, and it is very, very foolish. And it's foolish not because it's risky. There's times when we're supposed to take risky behavior. It's foolish because he's taking this risk in his own strength and in his own power. You see, Peter is mentally and emotionally and spiritually prepared for this moment. And here's why. Earlier that night, Jesus gave Peter two specific warnings. First, he told Peter, tonight you're going to deny me three times. And Peter protested and said, no, 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 that can't be true. Jesus, I'm willing to die for you. In other words, Jesus spoke and Peter refused to accept the truth of what Jesus said. Now, why would he do that? Because he was so self-confident. In that moment, he had more faith in himself than in the words of Jesus. As I ponder Peter's response, I find myself wondering, do you and I ever do that? And I think we need to be so careful that we don't do that because when we rely on ourselves and on our own wisdom, more than we rely on God, we usually pay a very high price. And so as a result of that interchange where Jesus warns Peter and Peter doesn't accept it, Jesus realizes that his dear friend is setting himself up for a monumental failure, so he gives Peter a second warning. And when they go into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, Jesus says to Peter, you need to pray. You need to pray and prepare yourself against temptation because that temptation is going to come. And what does Peter do? He doesn't pray. He takes a nap. So Peter ignored Jesus' counsel. He ignored Two specific warnings. He neglected to pray. And then, essentially spiritually unarmed, he goes into the courtyard and daringly mingles with the crowd. And because he is spiritually unarmed, is it any wonder that when he's confronted and accused of being a follower of Jesus, that he has no way to defeat his fear? Let's look at the way he responds to the confrontations. Confrontation number one, he denied it before them all. Confrontation number two, again, he denied it with an oath. Confrontation number three, then he began to invoke a curse on himself. So people in this crowd, they recognize Peter as a disciple, and then what happens? He starts to get scared. Have you ever been 
really bold when it's comfortable to be bold? I mean, it's one thing to tell Jesus, I will die for you when you're seated comfortably at the dinner table. It's another thing to live that out when you're faced with people who are out for blood. And so the minute Peter's confronted, his daring bravado collapses, and he immediately goes into denial mode because all he can think about is the cost of getting caught, caught and identified as a disciple of Jesus. And we need to understand that for Peter, those costs of getting caught, oh, they are very real. One of those costs is spiritual. You see, if, excuse me, if the Jewish religious leaders pass judgment on him, they can bar him from entering the temple. He can be prohibited from coming into the temple and participating in the sacrificial rituals necessary for the forgiveness of sin. Now, now we, don't, we don't do that. We don't come to church and sacrifice animals to have our sins forgiven. So we might not understand the severity of that for someone like Peter. And, and here's a way to perhaps help us grasp what this might mean. Let's suppose that we believe and teach that in order to have your sins forgiven, you need to come to church and take communion. And if you don't do that, you're stuck in your sins. Now, I want to clarify, we don't believe that. <laughs> we don't teach that. I'm just trying to make a point. But let's say that's what we believe, and then we decide, oh, you're a heretic, and you're a heretic, and you're a heretic, and you're a heretic which means you don't get to come into the building, which means you don't get to take communion, which means you never can have your sins forgiven, which means you are spiritually stuck with no hope of redemption. That's what it was like for Jews who were denied access to the temple. Peter is living with that very real fear because the one who he follows, Jesus, is being tried by the high priest. There's this huge spiritual implication to this, and Peter does not want his soul to be in perpetual jeopardy. Now, that's just the potential spiritual consequence. There's also the very possibility of severe physical consequences. The Jews live under Roman rule, and Rome's brutality is real. If Peter's arrested, the best he can hope for is a fair trial, but that's not guaranteed. And if he's convicted, the best he can hope for is time in a jail cell, and you would never want to be a prisoner in a Roman jail, jail cell. They were horrible, disgusting places. The most likely consequence is a painful, brutal execution. Peter has every reason to be physically and spiritually afraid. So can we imagine the terror he must feel as he's confronted again and again and again and his fear for his life and his fear for his soul becomes all-consuming. So he reaches a point where he's willing to say or do anything to protect himself. 
And so as we see here in our Bible passage, with each repeated confrontation, his denials become more emphatic and more heated and more angry. And so he reaches the point where he makes an oath, which is like saying, so help me God, I don't know this guy Jesus. And he even reaches the point where he calls down curses on himself which is like saying, may God curse me if what I'm saying isn't true. That is huge. And so what we find here is that to avoid the cost of getting caught, Peter pays a different price. He pays the price of his integrity. And then we have to consider what is the cost to his heart and to his soul as he listens to the words that come out of his mouth and he knows they're untrue. We know there's always a cost of some sort to getting caught in a lie. But I think the cost of yielding to fear is so much greater. And yet, when we're in that moment, when we're in the grip of overwhelming fear, so often we just can't stop, and neither can Peter. And he doesn't stop until he makes that third, final, emphatic denial. And he hears the rooster crow. And that sound leaves him devastated. Let's look again at that part of the story. He's just made that third denial. He's called down curses on himself. And then immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter's devastated because the sound of that rooster, it's it's like a wake-up call that brings home to him the reality of what he's done. I think it must be like a knife into his heart because it reminds him of Jesus' warning. And what we see is that Peter finally, finally is paying attention to Jesus' words. But oh, now it's far too late. And yet there's one other element of this story that makes it so bitter for Peter. The book of Luke adds a fascinating additional piece of the story. And we learn that while this is taking place, Jesus' trial has just wrapped up inside the house. Jesus is being led outside and he's crossing the courtyard. And as Jesus crosses the courtyard, he hears that rooster crow and he looks across the courtyard and he looks right into Peter's eyes. Oh. I I can't even begin to imagine the pain and devastation of that moment for Peter. To make eye-to-eye contact with the Messiah he has just betrayed. We all know what it's like to get confronted about our failures. But few people have ever been so immediately and so vividly confronted with their own failure. 
I, I find myself wondering, what was it that Peter might have seen in Jesus' eyes? And we don't actually know, so this is just my opinion. But I don't think he saw anger. I think he saw sorrow. I think he saw sadness. And if I'm right, then I think that look probably hit Peter right in the gut. Because in some ways, the most painful experience of failure is not to experience anger, but to realize that we have let down someone that we love. I, I relate this to some things that I experienced in my own childhood with my dad. When I was moving from, from childhood into adolescence, as a kid, my dad had disciplined me sometimes by spanking me, but when I became an adolescent, he stopped spanking me, and he started to change his approach. And he would give me responsibilities and explain what he expected of me, and he would trust me to follow through. And if I failed to live up to his expectations, which I did many times, <laughs> he wouldn't spank me. He would take me into his home office for what he called a man-to-man chat. And dad would look at me and very calmly, he would remind me of what my responsibility had been. He would explain how I had failed to live up to that responsibility. And then without a trace of anger, with just a sense of sorrow, he'd look me right in the eye and say, son, you let me down. The first time he did that, I said, oh, dad, just spank me. <laughs> the pain of realizing my dad, who I loved and respected and wanted to honor, that I had failed him. Oh, that hurt worse than getting paddled on my rear end. And so I find myself wondering, you know, if Jesus is in fact looking at Peter with sadness and sorrow, then I imagine Peter probably kind of feels the way I did when I was meeting with my dad because of the heart-rending pain of letting Jesus down. And so in all of this, for Peter, there is a tragic sense of failure. Is it any wonder that he goes away and weeps bitterly? He weeps bitterly because he's failed, and he's failed because he's let fear conquer his faith. And so, yes, because of his boldness, he was the last man standing. But in this case, all it meant was that he was the last man to fall. Now, thankfully, this isn't the end of Peter's story. We get to look ahead in the Bible, so we know that Peter will be restored. And he's going to be restored because Jesus does not give up on us when we fail. He is the God of the second chance and the multiple chances because he is a God of grace. Peter's also going to be restored because he learns from his failure that he has to trust Jesus more than he trusts himself. And when you're a self-confident, self-made man, that is a huge lesson to learn. But Peter learns it. And so, the long-term story of Peter 
is this, that when we trust Jesus, our lives do not have to be defined by our failures. But that's in the future for Peter. And what we need to learn from today is this part of his spiritual journey. And understand his pathway to failure and the consequences of failure. Peter's pathway to failure is so very, very clear. He ignores Jesus' warnings because he trusts himself more than Jesus. And because he trusts himself too much, he doesn't pray and he doesn't arm himself against temptation. And that is a recipe for disaster. And as a result, he lets his faith be conquered by fear. What we need to realize is it did not have to be that way for him. And it doesn't have to be that way for us. Fear can fade away. And fear will fade away. And fear will not control us if we keep our eyes on Jesus. But if we shift our gaze if we allow ourselves to be consumed by our own immediate circumstances as Peter did, that's when we will give way to fear. And then we see horrible, tragic consequences. So Peter's story reminds us that we need to listen to Jesus, we need to pay attention to his words, and we need to pray and pray and pray some more. Trust in Jesus and never let the circumstances of the moment lure us into a fearful response. And as we do these things, you and I can choose a better path than Peter did. And when we choose that better path, instead of fear conquering faith, our faith, Yours and mine. Our faith can conquer our fears. Whatever they might be, from whatever source they come from, whatever direction they hit us, we can, trusting Jesus, conquer our fears. And when that happens, then we always will be able to stand for Jesus. And we always will be able to stand with Jesus. Jesus. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, it's, it's so painful to read about Peter's failure. We've, we've not been in that exact same kind of situation, but we all know what it's like to be deeply, deeply afraid. And if we're honest with you, Father, we have to admit that we've all allowed ourselves at times to yield to fear and to let that fear drive us to do things that we regret. So help us, though, to learn from this story and to realize that we don't have to fall into that trap. And yet, Lord, help us to realize that, yes, we fail at times, but you are a God who loves to lift us up and restore us, and we know that that's in Peter's future. We're thankful for that. But Father, help us to learn from this part of his story and not to reproduce what he did on that fateful night. And help us never to forget 
that we can overcome fear when we have faith in you. May that be true in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.